we would be honored if you would. All right, everyone, welcome to another episode of Dungeon Crawlers, where Krebs has disappeared. No, he has decided to jump on some wormhole and zipped off to planet Arrakis, and he's running through sand dunes and chasing his white worm with his real friends with his real friends yeah he might be playing some zombicide there too who knows anyways uh because of that we have a special guest host with us uh tasha wilhouse hey so, everybody those of you that don't know tasha tasha is alton's other half and she is also uh puts together copper shock which is a great uh podcast that delves into i would say suspense and horror mm-hmm. stories uh so if you haven't listened to that uh check that out she has been on the show before uh i think it was last october when we had a, the special show about horror and stuff like that uh so welcome back oh thank you and we've got kind of a an interesting topic but i'm gonna let alton take it over because he's the one that kind of came up with the idea yeah thank you dan um, and, uh, yeah, thank you, Tasha, for joining us this evening. Um, as, as much as my wife and I love each other and we try to spend time with each other, we also <laughs> do a pretty good job of keeping our hobbies and jobs and everything else separate. Um, and so I'm very pleased that she's willing to take a little bit of time to talk with us this evening because I find that we're in an interesting position to talk about something that we don't get to, uh, talk about very often, most notably, even though there are many different kinds of authoring in the world, the way that you write things changes based on the medium through which it's expected to be consumed, right? A novelist is not going to write the same way that a scriptwriter would for screen, and a scriptwriter right. for screen is not going to write the same way as a screenwriter as a writer for stage. Similarly, Tasha does scripted uh, horror stories through her podcast, Copper Shock Horror. And so I wanted to explore that a little bit. I think as we go through the questions tonight, we're going to find that there are a lot of things that are the same, but we may find some areas in which writing a book, which Dan has great expertise in, is -hmm. going to be very different than writing for a podcast, which Tasha has great expertise in. So uh, hopefully this will be a good time for everybody. And uh, um, we're just going to have a good time with it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, go ahead. Oh, no, no, no. You're just fine. So the biggest thing that I want to start off with is the way that ideas get generated. And I suspect that this is going to be very similar and probably closer more to a personal preference. Um, But let's go ahead and start with you, Tasha. What's kind of the way that you begin to generate your content for your podcast? My content often comes with like a kernel of truth, like an original story, like the kind of story that you sit across from a cafe table and tell your friend about the other night, the craziest thing happened to me. I was going down the street alone and I could swear someone was following me or I felt like I was being watched. And by taking that core of a story and then creating kind of a constructed narrative around it, because what people want to hear in those personal stories isn't necessarily this person was walking down a street and they thought they were being watched, but they want to be able to empathize with that feeling of being alone and isolated and that kind of feeling of dread of I've got at least 17 more steps before I reach a threshold of safety where other people can see me and feeling that emotion in that storytelling. So mine kind of starts with like a personal story that then has some 
some embellishment, but it's meant to evoke emotion from the listener akin to what was happening to that person. Yeah. I don't, I I don't want to jump too far ahead into, you know, the actual production of what you do once you start with that kernel of story quite yet, Mm. because that's, that's going to be one of my future questions. So don't, don't jump too far ahead of me here. Oh, I'm sorry. But, uh, so this isn't scripted. I didn't know what I was not supposed to say. This, this is a new territory for me, guys. Oh, you're just fine. You're just fine. (laughs) We just fly by the seat of our pants and you have to have everything scripted out. Hmm, I do. (laughs) That is tough. It's it's kind of funny as she was describing that. I I just wanted to blurt out. Well, that's just the TVA. That's that's the reason you like you felt like someone was watching you. Uh, they were waiting for that that variant to show up. Uh, <laughs> Good job. That's a that's a cut for any of you who have not yet seen Loki <laughs> on Disney Plus. Go take a look. Go take a watch. Uh, Tasha and I are partly through it right now. It's been kind of fun to see so far. Yeah. No, I mean, so I I remember moments like that uh, as a kid you know, coming home uh, from a friend's house, go heading home, it's late at night, right, walking home or riding a bike. And there's that one like section of the street that's just not quite covered by the street light. That's dark, darker than anywhere else on the entire road. And you, you, there's street lights, except for that one spot. And it's like, there's, you know, and you just have this <laughs> nagging feeling like there's something there, but I can't see it. Listen to that instinct, Dan. Listen to yeah. it. <laughs> yeah, well, it's n- nothing's ever happened. Uh, That's the space where the stories live, though. In my entire life. But I know. Um, but you can create an entire story from that. You're right. Uh, sometimes inspiration comes from the weirdest places. Um, there is a story that I would really like to write that uh, when I get to it, it's still in my list of ideas. But my youngest son, uh, years ago, we we took him into the hospital. We weren't on, we weren't sure what was going on with him. The doctors were trying to figure out, and then you know they kind of came up with this idea that he had a virus attacking his blood, and it was in his blood. And it's just like, what would that be like if you had a virus that was attacking? your blood, the very life essence of your body and destroying that and kind of corrupting it and turning it into something that your body cannot handle. And so I, I walked away from them like, oh, man, that would be an amazing and interesting story. So uh, Dan, do you find that other stories that you're, that you have written or are writing start in those experiential kernels as well? Uh, really, it, they come to me at weird, weird moments, because um, I'm more of an exploratory writer. Uh, I could, you know, like the set, my second book, I was just driving down uh, the freeway heading to the local convention, um, and I remembered someone's post, or someone, you know, someone put a review uh, for my first book and said, yeah, he made this big deal about this scene that happened in Manhattan, and yet never came back to it what the heck it's like this giant plot hole and as i'm driving i'm like yeah that is a giant plot hole oh that's because there's another dragon there that the you know the corporation was that was hiding and kept under wraps that's why Uh, and then i plotted out this whole idea around that Um, so sometimes it just comes from random random things from life or thought patterns that just come up for me Mm -hmm. So let's explore that a little bit more. You know, you talk about this experience of somebody pointing out this 
thing that you now burrows into your head and you've got to figure out how to turn this into something real and you begin to solve those problems. What does that kind of exploration process tend to look like for you after you have that starting kernel? What time frame does it take? What kind of exercises do you find yourself going through? And, and what are kind of the thoughts that you find yourself in once you finally get those creative juices flowing? So once I have that idea, so like, so for instance, when I was driving, I pulled out my, you know, my audio recorder and recorded, okay, these are my thoughts. This is what's come to me. And I had it. Um, it was a very, it was a very short premise of what I wanted the whole book for. At that point, the whole process is I sit down and then I write. Um, and then I slowly uncover what that story is as I go. Um, there isn't a, I'm sitting down like, okay, so how do I make this work? What characters are going to be in there or, or who? Um, I just started writing. And as, as I go chapter by chapter, because I'm a linear writer, I go from chapter to chapter. I don't bounce around like some people do. Oh um, man, that's real discipline because I can't do that. <laughs> yeah, and, and I know not not very many people can do it that way, but that's how I do it. Uh, short stories are the same way. I get the idea, I start, and I write until I end. I don't jump around because if I jump around, I mess things up for me. You find that you're editing as you go, or is it just kind of you know brain to pen to paper until you get to the end? The only way I will edit is if I come to a place where I'm stuck. And then if I'm stuck, what I do is I'll stop and I'll start asking myself questions, um, you know, pertaining to the scene, or if it's a particular character, I'll start asking questions about that character um, mm -hmm. to figure out why I'm stuck. Uh, for example, in the first book, I got stuck in the scene um, where one of my characters was facing the dragon. This is the first time the dragon really shows up for the first time. And I had this great idea, you know, the other guys were going to jump in a boat and they were going to go, they were going to ride the, downstream and head to town uh, mm -hmm. where their, their objective is. But for some reason, every time I wrote it, it wouldn't work. And I couldn't figure out why I kept getting stuck by the time we'd hit the, he'd hit the dragon. And so I sat down and started asking myself questions. And then I asked the big question what direction is the river flowing? Well, in Ireland, since it's an island, all the rivers go out to the ocean. They don't go inland. So mm. with that one question, my brain's like, my brain already knew, but I didn't. And so when I asked that question, it's like, oh yeah, there's the problem. I got them out of the boat and started having them. Um, they stayed in a cave. Why the guy fought the dragon, the dragon flew off. They came out a day later and then they marched into town um Interesting. but yeah it, it is I, in my opinion writer's block is just your brain already knows there's a problem but you have to figure out what that problem is because mm. your brain can't just say hey you know i wish i had a you know those <laughs> angels and devils would pop up and say hey this is why it's not working dummy yeah uh, so with copper shock Right. Each episode that you record is, is about mm -hmm. what length once it's all fully edited and cut, Tasha? Yeah, it's uh, rough. It, it's honestly on the shorter side for most podcasts. Mm -hmm. uh, my podcast episodes range from like 16 minutes up through 24, which is okay. most people when they hear podcasts expect like an hour minimum. And I 
I just kind of have these really short, uh, kind of easily consumable episodes. Mm -hmm. So, so so with that, since you're kind of in that short story range, Mm -hmm. you know, let's, let's talk about your exploration process. You've had your initial idea either because, you know, you've talked to somebody, I assume you write down their story or record what's going on right now. You've kind of embellished it in your own head and you're starting to explore it a little bit more. Do you find that you're writing it in a short story format first and then editing it into a podcast? Is it some other method entirely? Like what, what does that process look like for you? Um, I've always, I've always remembered the saying from Howard Taylor, which was your first draft is exactly, you know, what you're saying, but your final draft is the best way to say it. And so I do start out episodes with the exact story someone has told me adding in pieces that kind of give it more color So things that have to do, like example, I am currently writing an episode about a temporal time slip on the Queen Mary. Like there's a section of that ship where something kind of just shifts for this one person that experienced it. And I wasn't there. And quite frankly, their story's pretty short, but for the entirety of this episode, I need to build up to that moment. I want the audience to understand who this person is their relationship with the other person that they're with on this vacation at the Queen Mary and why that is such a loss when they start to feel them slip away from them in that temporal slip moment. And that kind of builds into that. So it does start out with like the exact way someone says the story to me. And then I start to picture if I'm sitting in their shoes and I'm looking around the room, what do I hear? What do I smell? What are things that I can kind of like pick out in the color and the details? So I actually end up researching the ship What are areas of the ghost tour that they would have gone on? Like, what does that room look like? How does the sound bounce off the walls? Because it's all made out of tile. Just kind of different things like that. And then by looking at those pieces of factual things about their environment, extrapolating and creating a narrative or made up dialogue to kind of help communicate the story, to pad it out. So kind of like blocking a scene in a play or a movie where you're starting to like lay out, okay, in order for my dialogue to be meaningful, in order for my story arc to be meaningful, I need somebody to start on this side of the room and end up on the other with a plate of herring, right? How do we make that happen? Mm -hmm. That's fascinating. So what, what, what kind of questions do you find you know, are, are helpful to you because what you're describing is not necessarily, you know, world building, but it really is kind of blocking is understanding what the environment's going to look like, smell like, feel like, right. What are the types of questions that you find yourself asking to make sure that you've fully explored that to your level of satisfaction? The, the way that I kind of ask those questions have to do in like chunks of moment Because the way that I like to write even just regular fantasy fiction short story is that it's about an experience that almost happens in the space of 15 minutes, because it's about a lot of things can happen in 15 minutes, really. And with that, you start asking the questions of, if I had a conversation with someone, how does that affect the future down the line? Because I think about when I write stories, almost kind of like multiple different pathways of the future of like which road are they going to end up down is a, is a way of saying that. So I ask a lot of, a lot of what if, and if it fits, Hmm. if it's the strongest path for them to take. Interesting. I I totally get that, especially like, as I've done design for RPGs in particular, right. Um, Which is its own kind of writing and that's a completely separate episode, (laughs) but, um, but 
ex- describing many of the things that you're saying, right? Like, what is the scene, but how do I want them to experience it? How do, how do I want them to feel it? And what's the logical progression that they're most likely going to follow? And I imagine because you're writing suspense and horror, you might be trying to plan maybe some early things to lead on to a future twist or a future change or, or you know, that drop moment where you realize not only that something is wrong, but what is wrong. Do you find yourself starting to seed those breadcrumbs in this stage or does that come later on in a future edit? Uh uh, it has to be early on. It has to be right before I ever do a recording because everything's so scripted that uh, audio editing after that point, if I don't have that as part of the script before recording, it's why I get so paranoid of like, is this ready to record? Because if I record something and then a whole snippet has to be taken out, oftentimes I will find that snippet that took it out meant that the cadence of my voice doesn't carry from one statement to the next and they feel askewed from each other. Like they don't feel like natural storytelling at all. So any kind of editing, like when you hear a recording, that's basically final text. I try not to edit anything outside of that unless it really messes with the pace of the story. Interesting. So yeah, let's, let's explore pacing and voicing for a second because, you know, Dan, you talked about needing to encounter problems and overcome them for your characters, right? In yeah. a way that's going to be satisfactory to the reader. Um, and Tasha, you're describing many of the same things for your listeners as well, yeah. right? And, and so a lot of those voicing and pacing considerations are happening very early in the process for a podcast. Um, Dan, because you're following the path, so to speak, do you find that that type of stuff comes more naturally to you? Or do you find that they're comes a point at which you're having to go back in and say, okay, let's shorten this, let's lengthen this, let's add a little more meat here. Or, you know, even if you know that the general content is good, what are you doing to kind of finalize that voice to make sure that what you're wanting communicated, not only in terms of, of words and plot, but also feeling and sense uh, is coming across to your reader? Well, yeah, I mean, I'll definitely get the, the, the first draft out. I get it done. Then I go back over it and look at it. At that point, that's when I do, you know, I evaluate, okay, is the pacing going well? You know, because basically in any story, you want to hook them and you want to be pulling them through the story. You don't want any moment where they're like, they step out of the story, they step out of the character or whatever is drawing them because you're ultimately drawing them into this magical little box. And in that box, just before they hit that, the jack-in-the-box is going to pop out, and there's the surprise, and you know, then you have the big event and, and so forth. Um, and if at any time, if that pacing slows down, there has to be a reason. We, we need a valid reason for that pacing to slow down, um, whether that is the death of a character. We need to grieve for the loss of that character. Um, again, it's that even though it's slowed down, we're still drawing them in with that, that pace. Um, you know, with, with suspense and horror writing, it's not something that I do, but I would assume that it's, it's kind of the same way. Uh, instead of like, you know, I, I, 
in my mind, I would see it, if I were to do it, it would be, you know, the, it's just building that intensity, intensity is building and building and you're, as you're drawing and further and further in, and then you need a moment of levity to kind of let that pressure off before you hit them again with something even bigger. Um, and I know I do that sometimes with, with my pacing, you know, I'll, I'll let that pressure off just a little bit. Okay. We, we have a moment to breathe. I think we've done it. And then wham, we get hit again and we're, we're just charging back through. Yeah. I think what you're talking about there with, you know, metering intensity and, and making sure that even though we need that tension to increase by necessity as a plot device in order for our characters to really be in danger, to really have an opportunity to change or to grow or to overcome whatever they need to overcome. If all you do is accelerate at hundred miles an hour the whole time, right? Yeah. Like you're, you're, it's not going to feel nearly as satisfying and, and you might end up in fact, completely wearing out your audience before they even get there. Well, yeah, I mean, here, here's an example. Uh, so Xbox 360 has a game called Quake. Um, it is the only game I have never, I have yet to have ever finished. And I've owned this game for like over 15 years. Hmm. But the problem is, is it's so intense that I cannot play for longer than 15 minutes because my anxiety gets through the roof. <laughs> I'm like shaking. I'm like, uh, okay, I'm done. I can't play anymore. Um, so if I'm dragging my readers through that type of experience they're not going to want to keep reading they're going to mm -hmm. need to stop and put my book down and go away i if i do that i've lost them because who knows when they're going to pick it back up again are they going to pick it up tomorrow next week a month from now i mean basically you know i got to a point that that was that was happening so much i'm like okay i just i need to take a break well i haven't played it for two years now i could see that happening with a reader if it's too intense, they're going to put it down and they may not come back. They may come back when, whenever. Um, so you do need to kind of let off the gas. We see it in movies too. Um, you know, bad boys, you know, with Will Smith and Martin. Oh, I forgot his name. Uh, whatever. But bad boys, you know what I'm talking about. Um, you see that a lot. There's the, you know, Michael Bay has all these explosions and these car chases and everything. And then you have a funny moment where the two are arguing with each other. And you're like, why the heck they're chasing cops down. Bolts are flying. And now they're arguing. What? This is weird, but it's letting off that pressure a little bit. So when they decide to go back charging in bullets flying again, we're okay. That our stress level and that anxiety isn't as high as it was before. Is there a particular piece of media, whether that's a video game or a book or, or a movie or something that really exemplifies the, the kind of um, pacing and nuance there that you aspire to? Uh, and Tasha, I'm going to throw this at you in just a second, I too, mean, so be ready. Man, there's a lot. I mean, episode four, five, and six of Star Wars. Uh, pretty much every Marvel movie, except for maybe Thor 2 and Iron Man 2. Um, those ones had some issues. Uh, event, I mean, most, yeah, most of the Marvel movies really hit the pacing well. They do mm. it well. Uh, 4, 5, and 6, I feel like, did it well. The prequels and, you know, the, 
the later trilogy I don't think hit it on as well. Um, the Prestige with Christian Bell and mm-hmm. Hugh Jackman, David Bowie. Oh man, that one, great. I, mm-hmm. I feel like that one just hit it on. And I mean, there's so many other novelists out there that do a great job at it as well. Um, yeah. it, there's a lot of great media out there uh, that show that. Um, in video games, it's a little bit more different because you're, you're breaking up story with gameplay. Um, so it's a little bit harder to see that, but there's a lot of great games out there that do a good job with that. Yeah. One of the big ones that comes to my mind for a video game in particular is Bioshock. Um, yeah. And, and mm. you know, this honestly maybe lean more into Tasha's particular uh, genre here because that is a suspense slash horror game, right? Like it's not meant to be gory and horrific, in, in that sense, but it is definitely yeah. suspenseful and you're having these moments of triumph where you feel like you're becoming super overpowered and then all of a sudden the next big baddie shows up and just <laughs> wipes the floor with you or, you know, jump scares but used appropriately and things like that. Tasha, what are some of the pieces of media that stand out to you as, you know, exemplary in terms of their their pacing and the kind of tone or, or temp? you know, timber that you're aspiring to? Um, An unusual one, but I will say it, is Bad Times at the El Royale. Bad Times at the El Royale is a fantastic film of character study, suspense. Isn't that the one that has like Chris Hemsworth and that in it? Yeah, he's basically Charles Manson. (laughs) Yes. Yeah, Bad Times at the El Royale is a fantastic study in, in horror to me as well. Because it is more suspense than it is horror for sure. Um, but it's just got amazing pacing. It uses visual setup so beautifully that when the payoffs happen, it's really satisfying. Um, and then as far as horror genre goes, I mean, there's all kinds of media that like deserves praise, but I will say Haunting at Hill House is a Mm -hmm. wonderful television show. Now, Alton and I have only seen season two together, but I've watched season one probably three times all the way through because it is a wonderful, wonderful pacing from episode to episode and how they build on each other. And by the time you hit episode five, your jaw just drops to the floor because there's a massive payout that you don't see coming. And it's, it all ties together really, really well. As far as authors go in books, I mean, I've said it before and I'll say it again. I love Ray Bradbury. He is an amazing person when it comes to short story. And the thing is, his stories aren't breakneck pace. They aren't even huge character development arcs all the time. A lot of his short stories are about people in a moment and how they react to those moments. And that's kind of what I like to write, right? A moment Mm -hmm. that happens to somebody and how they react to it. Yeah, thunder. Oh, great book great short story Absolutely i mean killer. fahrenheit 451 i mean if you read that now and kind of look at what's going on in the world you're like huh. Mm. Uh, but but even beyond the subject matter just the way that it's written and the way that he he unfolds concepts yeah. to mm-hmm. make them approachable and reasonable even though in many cases bradbury's works in particular are dealing with you know social and societal issues or or deep-seated fears and problems you know Mm -hmm. um another 
film that I cannot sing the praises of enough because it's one of the few films that has actually kept me in suspense and on the edge of my seat the entire time was Parasite. It, I, I firmly believe that that film deserved every award that it got. Um, and, uh, you know, for, for me, that film does that excellent job of applying pressure. Not yeah. even enough that you really feel it until all of a sudden you realize that like you're holding onto your hands, your knuckles are tight, you're a little breathing a little harder than you would like and you know something bad is about to happen, right? Yeah. And then it just mm -hmm. slowly eases you away from it until you don't even realize that you've relaxed until you start to realize that it's coming back and yeah. it increases and pulses that way. That, that type of pacing to me is, is something that I absolutely adore. And, and I think not only in terms of like suspense, but also in terms of just good pacing to, to tell a meaningful story through the lens of characters. Mm -hmm. I think that, that they did a fantastic job of maintaining. Another good pressure. one is uh, Identity. Uh, oh, yeah. Cusack in it, man. Mm. Well, Identity is a wrap on Agatha Christie's uh, 10 Little Indians. Yep. Yeah. yeah. And it, it was it was a great way they did it. And it, you know, again, you're, you, mm -hmm. you got to figure it out. And they let off the pressure. And you're just like, okay, I know this, where this is going. And another curveball comes. And then that pressure starts getting applied again. And then, again, you think you got to figure it out. They let off. Another curveball. And then by the time... Here at the end, you're just like, what the heck? I didn't see this one coming. Um, it's And I love those type of, of films uh, where I can't figure it out until afterwards, I'm just like, wow. Mm -hmm. um, and, and that's when, you know, the writing's done well, the acting's been done really well, and that, that pressure tension uh, gauge has been done just the right way. Mm -hmm. Okay, so we've talked about the general ideation stage. We've talked about that development and blocking stage in which we're starting to lay things out. Now we've talked a little bit about pacing and tone and how you go through and begin to hone that in and make sure that it feels right. We've passed those three stages now and we're at the stage that I'm guessing at this point, we're starting to get to like finish edits, uh, production in the case of recording, um, but you know, final drafts and approvals in the case of a publisher. What are kind of the, the last touches or the last fingerprints that you leave on a project before you've locked it down and you know that you're good to go? Um, Dan, what, what is that for you? Or what are those things for you? For me, uh, well, I, I want to make sure that the entire story flows, that when the, that climax hits and that payoff happens, that the reader feels accomplished. Like they have just succeeded this journey. You know, that's you, the whole point of the story is to get through the journey. We hit, go ahead. You had a question. Do, do you read like the whole book to get that sense or are you just going no, no, sections? I know, I know it just because uh, it's in my head. Um, I don't have to reread it. Um, but as everything's been fit together, everything's been put together at the end, I want to know wow okay we just accomplished something big and now here's the reward now that reward can be different um you know like in my second book the reward was a tw huge twist at the end um 
that no one was expecting. Um, but at the end, I'm like, all right, I'm going to put this in here, um, which led for me to open up for more in, in a third book. In the second book, uh, the reward was the, the breadcrumb of hay, because I originally wrote it as, as a standalone. Um, but I ended it with that reward of even if this, you know, this could be more, we'll see what happens. Um, but it had, had I not, it could have just been left alone as, okay, you know, this event makes it so even if this is the only book in this story, this story could, could live on elsewhere in, in that, you know, the reader's mind or whatever, their imagination. Um, but ultimately, I always try to leave a reward at the end so that, you know, like any, like, you know, D&D, basically, you know, you fight to go to the end, big bad guy, and what's our reward? Because that's the whole purpose, you know, I hate to say it, but we're selfish, you know, we're kind of selfish. We only do things when for, for some sort of payoff. Uh, so why am I reading this book? One, for enjoyment, but at the end of it, th we want a reward, ultimately, so that's what I try to do. I love it. That's at least my mindset. Love it. And, and Tasha, like, I know, um, right now you're editing your own podcast, right? So I'm <laughs> sure that you hear the same words over and over again to the point that they start to lose meaning. Yes. <laughs> but I, but I also know that you take the time to add in music and Foley and things like that. Mm -hmm. Um, are there any other kind of finishing touches or last thumbprints, last checks that you end up putting on your work before? you know that it's done and you've locked it down? Um, I try to give it like a two or three day editing process, not because it's going to take that long to lay down the track, but because of that combing process of listening to a certain section again of, did that hit the right time? Is that actually impactful to the story versus where I just thought it should have gone? Because what I try to listen for when I do audio editing in particular is um, it's something that a, a professor at my college taught me years ago, which is he showed us a scene to Indiana Jones where he's about to run from the boulder and you don't hear the violence strike up or the trumpets strike up when he sees the boulder. You see it the moment he turns his whole body to sprint full force because his character internally is emoting that, that, that musicality that we don't really subconsciously think about. And so those are the things I'm trying to watch for as I'm telling the story of like, oh, okay, well, this has got this kind of growing undertone dark violin to it, but is it trying to over embellish a moment where I'm actually, I still need it to stay low before it grows intention of what's happening to the character in the story. And so that's why I have to give it two or three days is so that I can kind of forget what it was that I did <laughs> mm -hmm. and come back to it to try and re-experience it as best I can to go, oh man, that, that should be scooted down just a couple seconds or, Hey, this, this could actually probably use a good, like jump scare sound right here. And mm -hmm. I think that'd add to it. Those are the touches that I, I try to look out for. And I, I think, and I hope bring quality to my constant listeners that do come to listen to copper shock. Um, but yeah. as far as like, Consistent touches, I make sure every episode ends with a very light, breathy violin outro. It's like the signature sound of like, okay, story's done. 
thanks for everybody coming to my campfire. You can go to sleep now. It's okay. Right. Just try to almost, sleep. In. Yeah. Go try to sleep. <laughs> and, um, cause I, I don't want it to be all dark and brooding and the world is all clouds, right? It's, it's gotta have some levity of take a step back. This is us telling a story for each other. Thank you for joining today. Yeah. Um, and so that, that is something I do try to do for every episode. Uh, so ever I, since the first one actually love it um and and I, and I do have one more question for both of you before we go i know that we're starting to run out of time but a small quick side quest that i do want to ask dan just something that you said tasha kind of stood out dan do you need a cooling off period um to come back and revisit work to make sure that it meets your expectations or do you find that because of the you know the substantial process that has to go into writing a novel that by the time that you're there you're like yeah no I got it I've been far enough away from the beginning that I'm you know I can sort everything out yeah I don't need uh I mean there will be times where it's like when I finish a novel I will take a week because it's like I'm I need a break mm -hmm. um but it's just because you know I'm writing every day uh, uh you know I have I try to write a thousand words a day and so by the time I hit my 120 to 140,000 words, you know, that's a, that's a lot of time. And so I'll take a break just to get the step away, but not to really, oh, cause I need, I need the break, but it's more of a, okay, I've hit this goal. I'm going to take a break, go do something else, mm -hmm. come back. And then comes the, the editing process, sweeping through, making sure uh, content is correct, making sure that things jive. Um, because, you know, as you're, as I'm writing, you know, there, there are times where things don't jive as well, or a word will be misspelled, um, you know, because one word, you know, even one letter, you, you know, you could have two words that are identical except for one letter and it changes the whole meaning of that exact scene. And, and that happened. Um, you know, for me in my second book, I didn't catch it. You know, my editor caught it and he came back and said, uh, I think we have a problem there. I'm like, what? And he's like, well, I don't know what you're trying to say here because what it was supposed to be is the character was yanking off his goggle, you know, and that's Y-A-N-K, you know, but I put a W. So oh, no, <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> totally totally different um and i'm glad he caught that because that would have been embarrassing going out but you know what you just own it you'd be like that's totally meant to write that guys like yeah, it's didn't canon do it. now Everybody. <laughs> i mean but you, you miss those things mm -hmm. uh sometimes mm -hmm. but the nice thing is is when you go through you can catch you know and, and i do catch quite a few but sometimes i miss things and, and you know that's what the you know why you have an editor um but as you go through you find things you know such as you know this character you know you're describing this character being in this room but it sounds like he's in a, diff a different room and so mm -hmm. you have to change things up um another character uh you read through their dialogue and it just doesn't sound right it doesn't sound like them so you need to change it up so it sounds like them Sometimes that happens. So, uh, so yeah, I coming back. I don't generally need 
it, but I do do it for myself. Love it. So the final question that I have for both of you is a little more touchy feely and listeners of the show at this point, you've just come to expect it. We're hitting the end of the episode, which means Alton needs to ask a touchy feely question and make everybody feel good. Right. But the question that I have for both of you is how do you measure your success? Right. How do you know that the thing that you've put into the world is successful to you? And that may not be the same answer that every aspiring author or podcaster out there is going to have. So people listening, you know, please don't think that this means that whatever comes out next has to be your answer. But for each of you individually, what is that metric? Dan? You're going to start with me. Um, <laughs> yeah, mine, took me, mine took me a while to figure out because... I, I'll admit early on, I, I struggled with imposter syndrome. You know, I was a podcaster that interviewed all these authors and gleamed all this wonderful information and then decided to write a book. You know, how could my story be as good as the other novelists and authors that I have, I've read over the years, let alone interviewed? Um, even though people were coming in saying, wow, I really enjoyed this book. This is a great story. It wasn't until my book was actually up, you know, uh, for an award when I'm like, wait a minute, I'm actually, my writing's actually decent. And then I made it as a finalist against other New York Times bestselling authors. At that point, I'm like, okay, you know, I'm a decent, I'm a decent novelist. Um, as far as when, do I determine my, what I have done is complete? Is that, is that what the question really is? Well, no, not necessarily okay. complete, but, but successful, right? Like yeah. okay. I can, I can finger paint for an afternoon, yeah. but I'm not going to put it on anybody else's fridge, yeah. right? So, I'm not going to go and brag about it to anybody. Yeah. So as far as my second book, I felt like it was successful when I was up as a finalist against New York Times bestselling authors. Here I am, just little old me against Larry Correa and, uh, oh, I can't even remember the other two New York Times bestselling authors. Um, that was a pretty big deal. I'm like, wow, I guess I am a pretty decent author and this book is pretty successful. Uh, the first book, I felt I was a success just for having it published by a, a publisher. Um, that, you know, your first book getting, I, I know it's rare, most people write several before they get to that point. That was my first book and it got published. That's not uh, common. So I felt that was a success. Cool. And so for you, it's kind of a, a moving target of having done something that you have not accomplished before, or is it specifically yeah. in finding kind of that new level of, of prestige and awareness? I mean, for me, I think it's still a moving target, like you said, just because I'm trying to evaluate that. Um, it's important. I mean, so early on, yeah, uh, I think moving forward, that will be different and become more of a common ground of what that will be. Cool. Uh, Tasha, what does success look like for you? How do you know that you are happy with how an episode has turned out? Yeah. I mean, I mean, like we were kind of talking a little bit before we were recording the episode of like, do I consider myself as a qualified author, right? Because it's not published through traditional channels, but 
uh, Dan so kindly pointed out to me, it's like, no, I am self-publishing my written work just in a different medium. And there is something nice to have an affirmation outside of yourself, but you can't bank on that affirmation. Like it has to start from within of like what feels good for what I want to do. Cause the first like 20 episodes I ever recorded of Copper Shock had like maybe 10 people downloading that week. Right. Like, and I was grateful for those 10. Cause I was like excited. Cause I, as I do, like I sit into an imaginary room and I picture 10 people sitting around me, listening to me talk and just like how kind it is for them to give me their time in that. That feels really good. And it doesn't matter if it's 10 people or if it's like a hundred that are downloading me that week. Like I can then picture myself sitting in a room with all those people taking the time to listen. And that feels like I've been able to impact somebody. Even if it's one download, it means that there's someone out there who has taking the time to listen to one more thing. And so uh, success for me over the last five years of having Copper Shock has been, do I like it? Like, do I want to re-listen to it? Do I feel entertained by my own written work? Almost like, I don't know, do you guys ever like go back and reread your journal entries? Because when you first wrote them, you're like, this is the most amazing thing that happened to me that day. And then you reread your journal entry like four years later and you're like, man, I, I don't know why this was like the best thing that happened to me. <laughs> do you guys know what I'm talking I, about? I can't stand to journal, but I do make notes for myself all the time of game designs or story threads or all kinds of different things. I'll come back and look at a notebook from time to time or a piece of paper that ended up falling out of my bag and go, what in the world is this yeah, garbage? So, and so, so like- I was gonna that, say, so early yeah. on, I, I, I would go back and listen to our, you know, early episodes of the show mm -hmm. oh my gosh i'm just like what the heck was i on that day eh. so no i don't do that anymore yeah but i mean with that like with every episode i try to make i try to make it better than my last like make sure i spend the time make sure i find the right music i find the right foley or that i build in the foley into the writing ahead of time so that it supports each other and that these are things that i can look back on and feel proud to have produced i mean there are some episodes where someone said, oh man, I listened to that one about the skinwalker the other day. And I'm like, I don't remember that. <laughs> and then I go back and I listen to it and I'm almost experiencing it again for the first time. And I'm scared and I'm like, wow, where's this going? <laughs> and it feels good because it means that what I had done is I took whatever experiential thing I wanted to give to somebody and know that if I circle back to that, like months or years later, and I listen to it and I feel that way, that feels like success. Awesome. No, I, I agree. It has to be come from inside because if you're looking for, yeah, you know, I'm successful if XYZ outside of myself happens. Oh, no way. Yeah. And we're, we're most creative people are going to be doomed. Uh, there's a small percentage that actually do that. Um, so it definitely comes from inside. The other thing, uh, as you know, as long as our next work is better than our last, I think we're, yeah, we are being successful. If not, mm -hmm. we're being lazy and, you know, it's, it'll, uh, no, I'll, I'll not say that comment. I'll, <laughs> I'll skip that one. Um, um, but well, uh, I it, really, I think when we get to a completion point, we do kind of do, you know, like you said, kind of a brain dump where we let it go. We just let it go. It's out there. It's in the world. I don't need to worry about it. The baby is born. Uh, we can't change it or modify it anymore. And, you know, because there are times where, you know, I've even had readers like come up to me like, 
that was in the book. <laughs> oh, okay. Um, you know, and there's many times where I, I've talked to other authors and they're like, you, yeah, that was like seven, eight years ago. I don't remember, but hey, that must have been an awesome scene if it makes you this excited uh, type situation, uh, awesome. which is cool. Um, but at the same time, you know, especially as creative people, we're constantly working on the next thing. That's what's currently on our mind. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, we're going to be wrapping up in just a moment here. I, I want to make sure that each of you have a chance to uh, plug yourselves, including Dan. I want to make sure that you send people to the right spot. So if you need to write down where your links are and where people need to go, here's your chance. Um, but I did want to kind of summarize that that last point as well. Something that I've been talking a lot about with with some of the designers at Die Hard and, and as I've been contemplating a lot of my own works mirrors a lot of what you're saying, right? When we create things, we need to be creating them with intent, with an intent to edify and uplift and help someone. Sometimes that's ourselves, sometimes that's someone else, right? Mm -hmm. If we cannot uplift, edify, or improve, then we must do no harm. And if we are doing no harm, but we're also not helping, then we need to consider what it is that we're doing and whether it deserves more time and effort to be something more than it currently is, right? Mm -hmm. And and I think that regardless of what your actual individual motivation or feel good moment is, it is that recognition of of you know kaizen continual improvement of of reaching that next level. And I think that that's a very admirable thing. And and I hope that you know for you who's listening to me right now, whether it's your first project or your fiftieth project, or you know whether you're just contemplating whether it's even worth trying, it is it is worth trying and it is worth failing and it is worth doing better the next time, you know? Um, so, so go and get it done. But uh, I don't want to take too much more time from anybody else. Uh, Dan, where can people find your work? What are the things that they're looking for? Give us your uh, 30 seconds. Yeah. Before that, I just want to say uh, real quickly to jump off of what you were saying, how will you ever know if you don't try, if you don't start? Because otherwise it's this, well, I could have been, or I could have done that. You know, if, even if you fail, you know, you tried and you failed and that's okay. Um, if you try and you succeed, awesome. But it's a lot better than, well, you know, I could have, but I didn't. So, uh, you know, do it, just do it. You know, do what Nike says. Uh, <laughs> um, or, or uh, Shia LaBeouf. Um, so where can you find my stuff? Uh, you can find it on my website, dragonsfate.com. You can find my books on Amazon. That's the Fate of Dragons series. Uh, the first book is The Shadow Above the Flames. The second book is A Dragon's Fate. The third book, I, which is weird because I normally don't have a title title normally comes last i have the title first which is the corrupted guardian that's the, the third book it'll be out soon um pretty much anywhere you can find books uh you you can find those books even barnes and noble uh so that's the easiest place to find me uh well of course on this podcast you can find me here too awesome and tasha where can people find you a uh, Copper Shock Horror can be found on almost any podcast streaming service that you have. So whether that is Spotify, uh, Apple Podcast, Stitcher, Podbean, Google Play, I'm in all of those places. 
And if you'd like, you're more than welcome to visit me at my website, which is coppershock.com or come visit us on our Facebook page. Sweet. Yeah. So for those of you that are currently listening to us, I bet you that means that you found us through a podcast service of some type. <laughs> Plug <laughs> in Coppershock and yeah. see what you find. But, uh, you know, thank you both for, for taking some time this evening. It's been a pleasure interviewing you and hearing more about your process. And I'm going to pass it to Dan. And if you didn't know already, Dungeon Crawlers is actually an Audible podcast now. So that's pretty cool. Hooray. Uh, yay. So, uh, yes, we also need to get Tasha an I am an author t-shirt. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's official. So, definitely. If you are thinking of writing or, you know, you've dabbled in it, you're not sure of it, take the leap of faith, try it. The amazing thing about the atmosphere now with writing is it's so easy. You don't need to go through traditional means. There are so many published authors that are doing both independent and actual publishing. Um, I mean, there's many that have been on the show that, yeah, they have books through a traditional publisher, but they're also publishing stuff through audible as a its own thing or amazon are doing uh independent stuff so you don't have to be part of the big group anymore i mean even the the bookstores now are uh publishing or putting local stuff that are indie authors out on their bookshelves which i think is amazing uh that things have shifted that well that much because it used to be if you're an indie author there's no way you could get into a bookstore but now you can so that's, that's amazing. So try it out. You know, maybe if writing a, a book, a full book isn't your way and you can do short stories uh, and you want to put voice to it and you got some friends or buddies that can do it. If you don't think your voice is cool enough, you could do it the, the route that Tasha's done, um, which I think is fantastic and just as entertaining as if it was a full-blown story. Uh Graphic audio has grown immensely over the years because of that. They take other people's books and make it just like a movie, but it's all done like a radio drama. And I mean, I think that's a lost art. Radio dramas used to be huge and they're kind of gone, which is so sad. I mean, if you don't think that they're that big of a deal, just remember War of the Worlds. Several decades ago, it started panic everywhere, and it was just simply a radio drama that some people didn't hear the beginning of to find out that it was a radio drama, and they thought aliens were attacking the world. Um, so it's amazing how well words, music, and great storytelling can come together. So... I have rambled on quite enough. So with that said, we're out of here. And Dungeon Crawlers, whether it's realizing that you're going to hit your head against the wall until you succeed, or coming to the sudden understanding that you are going to have to say the line of a co-host who is not present, tell your story, whatever may come, and no matter how awkward it may feel at the beginning, be epic and, and don't, don't suck. suck. Remember... The force will be with you, always. Dungeon Crawlers.